Good day and welcome to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry. And we come towards the penultimate episode of season 8 where we are looking at films based on books. And for episode 79, we shall look at one of the most laid-back, controversial films made, which is based on the life of one Jordan Belfort. So for today's episode, we're going to be looking at the 2013 biopic The Wolf of Wall Street, based on a book by Jordan Belfort and directed by none other than Martin Scorsese. The film stars a star-studded cast including Leonardo DiCaprio, Margot Robbie, Jonah Hill, Raymond Chandler, John Berthenall, Rob Reiner, John Favreau, and Matthew McConaughey. Explosive, daring, no holes bar, crime slash comedy about a man who made $49 million at the age of 26, which really pissed him off because it was three million shy of making a million every week for that year. That is the ego, the aggression, and the genius behind one of the most repugnant yet inspiring individuals of the Wall Street game. Jordan Belfort, the man portrayed in this movie by Oscar winner Leonardo DiCaprio, was an American born to Jewish parents who in 1999 pled guilty to fraud and other related crimes to do with money manipulation in a stock market. He only spent 22 months in prison. Upon release, became a motivational speaker and released the memoir The Wolf of Wall Street, the film that was then adapted into this Martin Scorsese film. Back in his early days, Jordan Belfort was a door-to-door salesman and was a, a, you know, quite a successful one at that too. But then business went dry and he had to file for bankruptcy at the age of 25. He then met a man who persuaded him to become a trainee stockbroker at L.F. Rothschild. A couple of days on the job as a newly qualified stockbroker, and this is uh, portrayed in the film, by the way, the famous crash of 1987 happened, which is what experts now call Black Monday. A memorable and unfortunate start to his promising career as a stockbroker. He then eventually found his modest little, what you call, boiler room firms that marketed penny stocks. He would use hard sale tactics to basically squeeze the clients out of money on shitty investments that he bigged up. And he did this when he found out that penny stocks are almost 25% to 50% commission. Jordan eventually bought out this owner and created Stratton Oatmont and at one time had over 100 stockbrokers working for him who made commissions over $1 billion. During this time, he experienced a very luxurious, high-end life without thinking about any consequences whatsoever. Many masculine people idolise him as the man they would most like to live like, a dream for many men, a pure example of the term, boys will be boys, and the film absolutely connotes this in this biopic. Jordan Belfort actually coached Leonardo DiCaprio for this, especially in the reactions to the Quaalude scene where he's getting in and to the Porsche. When Jordan saw the film, he was very impressed and he was glad that the film focused on the lifestyle rather than story as he thought it was more of a good message to show that people can actually live their dreams. People that can only just dream about. I mean, this guy actually lived it. He did admit that one thing he objected to in this film was the fact that Stratton Oakmont portrayed to do no serious work in this film whatsoever. He explained that for the company to be going as long as it did, they had to do a lot of legitimate work all the time, and that was never shown in the film. Other than that, though, he was pleasantly happy with how the movie turned out. If you go on YouTube, in fact, you can actually see the actual beach party depicted in the movie for real. It was back in 1991, and you can see the real Jordan and his wife Naomi, although she's actually called Nadine in real life. Must be a private clause in making the movie or something. Same thing for Jonah Hill's character as well. His name isn't actually Donnie, but it's Danny Portia. He threatened to sue if he was depicted in this movie. Um, Jordan Belfort actually makes a cameo in the movie right at the end, introducing his fictitious self to come on stage. 
So let's have a little look into this movie. I mean, first thing to say about this movie is the profanity in this. It's ridiculous and it's a record-breaking amount. It's now in the Guinness Book of Records for the most swear words mentioned in a movie. 681 times to be exact, which works out to be once one every 3.8 seconds. The film, of course, reunites Leonardo DiCaprio and Martin Scorsese, their fifth time working together after The Aviator, Gangs of New York, Shutter Island and The Departed, this becoming the fifth. Leo is on course to winning his first ever Oscar for this role uh, as Jordan Belfort, but lost out to his co-star of this movie, Matthew McConaughey, for Dallas Buyers Club. He actually filmed his small scene as Mark Hanna right after finishing uh, Dallas Buyers Club, hence why his weight is fluctuating and he looks really skinny as well. He's putting it back on slowly during this course. He incredibly lost about, what was it, 56 pounds for his role in Dallas Buyers Club. Of course, as brief as Matthew McConaughey's performance is in this movie, it is certainly a memorable one. Many know the story of his famous and, or I guess, infamous chest pumping scene, and it's now basically pop culture. The chest thumping thing is Matthew McConaughey's legit way of exercising and preparing himself before a scene. This is a real thing he actually does. One day on set, Leo actually caught him doing that and simply said, we need to have this in the movie, and the rest, as they say, is history. In real life, though, Mark Hanna, the character of Matthew McConaughey portrays, actually went to prison for stock fraud, but this wasn't shown in the movie. Also not shown in the movie was that he actually worked with Jordan for two years after the crash, and he bought 25% of Stratton Oakmont, but that was all left out of the movie. It's an interesting thing, though, that his name is Hanna, which is the same name as Al Pacino's character in Heat, one of my favourite films. And in Heat... Al Pacino goes, who? Woo? Woo? What are you, fucking Al? To Hank Azaria's character in Heat. And that is exactly what Margot Robbie does to Leo in this movie. A little geeky reference. I don't know if anyone picked that up, but yeah. It was on Leo's list to do this film a long time ago, but it never surfaced with anyone. And those who wanted to do it didn't want to focus on the lifestyle aspect, but more the crime and legal agenda of how they were conning people. Leo simply said he wasn't interested in that because there are so many films like that already. And at the time, they were doing films like that. And none of them dared to venture into this lifestyle, this playboy life that led outside and even during running the company. So, yeah, he found the right person to do it. I think Lee Scott was going to do this movie with Brad Pitt as Jordan Belfort, so it never amounted to anything. I think what happened after Leo worked with Martin Scorsese in four films, he may have suggested the idea to him and he was persuaded. And I think it's a very, uh, it's very actually very similar to a lot of his films, actually. I mean, the progression of an innocent character slowly growing into power throughout the course of a very long movie, like in Goodfellas or Casino and I guess The Irishman now. Up until The Irishman actually came out, Wolf of Wall Street was Martin Scorsese's longest movie. The film is also a bit like Catch Me If You Can because Leo's character and both are based on real-life people and both of them enter in criminal activity to better themselves financially. And at the end of both movies, they both end up cooperating with the FBI. So a lot of similarities there. But yeah, Martin Scorsese deliberately changed the lens in this movie to allow the audience in a subtle way to see the world through the perspective of Jordan Belfort. So the film was constantly changing lens through the cinematography um, experts. I mean, they had flat spherical lenses when used when Jordan is completely sober. Then they had these anamorphic lenses when he's drugged up, longer pursued lenses when denim is after him or when he's feeling paranoid. I mean, it's quite subtle and it's a geeky thing to talk about, but it's just a taste of the genius behind the camera and just behind the film in general but yeah the film is ranked what 140th greatest film of all time on imdb i mean the film was nominated for five oscars best picture actor best supporting actor for jonah hill best writing and of course best director it won none of them 
12 Years a Slave completely whitewashed the director and best picture categories and geo, uh, duo Jared Leto and Matthew McConaughey took the acting awards away from Leo and Jonah Hill from Dennis Bias Clubs. This was actually Jonah Hill's second nomination after working with Brad Pitt in Moneyball. Jonah Hill was offered the role, but still auditioned for the role to make sure he was right for the part. It was his first audition in six years. He wanted the role so bad, he actually took a pay cut. And he worked at the absolute SAG minimum, which was $60,000, which is pennies to them, really, isn't it? But yeah, in this movie, all the cocaine and drugs that are snorted are actually crushed vitamin B. And Jonah Hill was actually, in fact, hospitalized because he was snorting too much during this movie. I mean, he really went for this role in this movie. He wanted everything to be real and authentic. That He requested that he ate the fish for real when he was having a go at that guy before the Steve Madden launch. But Martin Scorsese said he couldn't do that to let him eat a real-life fish on screen due to animal cruelty laws. So I think what they did with that scene, it was done with a real fish with animal handlers on, on the side of him. And he was allowed to have the fish in his mouth for, for no longer than three seconds. But yeah, still got an uproar with animal cruelty, but you can't win them all, can you? But yeah, interestingly enough, the scene with him and Steve Madden. So in the movie, they know each other because they grew up together, which reflects the actors themselves, because Jonah Hill and the actor Jake Hoffman be uh, also grew up in the same neighborhood, which is actually kind of cool. Jake Hoffman, the guy who plays Steve Madden, is the son of Dustin Hoffman, which is actually an interesting thing, too. But yeah, Jonah's Hill, I mean, he really went for it. He wore fake teeth, obviously used a prosthetic penis for the beach party scene, and he was hit for real by Brad in the interrogation scene. And his fake teeth actually flew out, and he started swelling up for real. And this is actually in the movie as well. So yeah, useless trivia about Jonah Hill. Let's have a look. I mean, this is his third film he starred in with the, with the word street in the title. Can you think of the other two? I mean, it's, they're two sequels, 21 and 22 Jump Street, and this is the third. I mean, he's been in a film with Leo uh, before since, I mean, they were both in Django Unchained, but I don't think they have any scenes together. And speaking of hitting people for real, uh, John Burchill wasn't the only P, uh, person hitting people in the movie for real. Margot Robbie, I think during an audition of Leo, she slapped Leo in this movie. And I think, yeah, it was during an audition, she slapped him really hard and said, fuck you. And the whole room went really silent and everyone was really scared to Leo's reaction. And Margot was so scared because she hadn't got the part yet and she thought Leo was going to sue her or something. But he just said that, you know, he came up to her and said, that was perfect. You need to do that again. And they started filming. The two, of course, remain friends to this day. I mean, after working together again in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, although I don't believe they share any scenes in that as well. But for Margot's uh, nude scene, she was meant to be wearing a bathrobe during that seduction scene with Leah, but it was her idea entirely to do the scene absolutely stark nude, her first time in her career. She explained in an interview that her body was her form of currency in the movie. She had to be naked in that scene. She's basically laying all her cards on the table right there and then. And she initially lied to her parents and said it was CGI, but then she later told them the truth nearer to the premiere of the movie. But yeah, The Wolf of Wall Street is a film that divided attention to the laid-back sex-crazed theme of this crime thriller. I mean, the film ventured more into the comedic aspect than, than the thriller aspect, which is what a lot of people were expecting when the story was brought up and thought, oh, this is Martin Scorsese's film. We're going to expect something like Goodfellas or, you know... Uh, casino. I mean, a lot of people were particularly reluctant about this film as expectations were high considering the storytelling and the theme of a man who grows into power were the main drive for this film, riding on the back of similar films, like I mentioned, like Goodfellas, Casino, even the unannounced Irishman at the time. So, you know, people were expecting a film like that, but they were pleasantly surprised. 
Nonetheless, the film had an incredible budget of $100 million for a film that really holds no action or violence in this movie, simply the production design of this ridiculous lifestyle of Jordan Belfort and Stratton Oatmont. The film quadrupled its budget at the box office. I mean, the film was something that really hadn't been done before, before to this level. And this is why I personally like this movie. It's something that was daring enough to say, you know what, I've done provocative, violent films before. Let's just do the same for sexual contents now. And try and tell me, you know, that, you know, there's no, it's a different kind of movie. And that's what I like about it. And this is exactly what this film did. It did something that no other film has dared to do and could get away with in 2013. I mean, the film is just full of stars. I mean, the film has three high-end directors in this movie, not including Martin Scorsese, who actually is in this movie. He's the voice of Jordan's first client. So we've got Spike Jones, um, uh, John Favreau, and Rob Reiner, all top of their game directors, films like being John Malkovich, Iron Man, Fast and the Furious, and, you know, many more. The film itself boasts talent from left to right. The film alone has three actors who have all won Best Actor at the Oscars, something I find hard to find in any other films. You've got Leonardo DiCaprio for The Revenant, Matthew McConaughey for Dallas Spice Club, and you've got Jean Dujardin for The Artist. I mean, along with Spike Jones and Martin Scorsese, this film has five Oscar winners in this movie and three nominees, including Jonah Hill, Rob Reiner, and Margot Robbie. I mean, the film is exploding with talent, and they made sure they went all out for it. No limitations on sexual content content, running time, or even the budget, and the talent was flooded into this movie. With, you know, with expectations high from the history of Martin Scorsese films, as he does in his movies, we are following a duo-duo role in typical Scorsese fashion, following the urban lifestyle of one man's greed and addiction, but this time looking at it from a light-hearted and yet at the same time cynical, misogynistic way which creates this unfortunate comedic lifestyle that has attracted many films to call this movie bold, ridiculously charming and stupidly realistic to the masculine idea of being a man. Unlike Wall Street and Gordon Gecko, we are completely aware that Jordan feels, you know, is completely aware of what he's doing, of his addictions and actions, and yet does nothing about them because he has this desire to be free, have money and be in power. The film portrays him as a sort of messiah, one everyone loves because he can make them rich. And this is the story of greed and power. And to do it correctly, there can be no sugarcoating. It's just fully outrageous to think that the persona of a man behind the ultimate joyride can be morally or ethically right in any way. And yet we follow him in this movie for three hours and part of us can't help but like him or part of us wishes we were Jordan Belfort at times. And this is what this movie is quite interestingly divides opinion because it is actually exploiting misogyny and sexual harassment and all kinds of things that is definitely not acceptable right now. I mean, the truth is we are all kind of Jordan Belfort. The world, the whole world are, you know, is controlled or exploited to desires. Some we act on and some we don't. Money, house, sex, drugs, Video games, designer clothes, whatever your position may be, we are all consumers just on the lower scale of this raised spectrum shown in this movie. I mean, as society, we have chosen to live in an egotistical society that constantly reminds us to value those with wealth and status as better than those without. I mean, we cannot live without our material goods. We can't help but look at our phones every two, three minutes, or should I say seconds. 
There are pillars of innovation and essential to our fading sense of identity when oftentimes these goods are produced at the expense of exploited workers in the developing countries as well as the health of our environment. I mean, our politicians are routinely paid off by big banks and other special interest groups, blurring the lines of difference between corporate and government influences of our lives. I mean, we fawn over the lifestyles of the rich and famous, modelling our lives after superficial habits of those with padded bank accounts on social media, choosing to buy the expensive things they buy because we want to be like them. I mean, some happily scoff or judge those less fortunate than themselves in the presence of, in the presence of others. I mean, citing those who work less than them as lazy or ambitious. I mean, even our tax dollars are often used by corporate politicians with personal interests. I mean, that's exactly what people are saying about how they spend the money or what is going to do or what the government is doing with their money. We, in an age of raging capitalism, have instructed to ourselves to value money more than anything else because, according to Jordan Belfort, money doesn't just buy you a better life, better food, better cars, better pussy. It also makes you a better person. And that's exactly what he says in the film. Whether you believe it or not, well... (laughs) That's for you to decide when watching this film. A better person is a person who has money, according to this film, and yet the film ends with no real repercussions to his actions, despite the fact that he hits his wife, cheats on his wife, bankrupts his business, and rips off the everyday person to carve his empire. I mean, 22 months is all he's spent in prison. There's wrong, and then there is wrong, because people these days are blinded, maybe by their desires to become a criminal, simply because they can become rich. And that is always and would always be a dream for the average person, the fantasy of doing whatever they can do, no matter if it's morally ethical or illegal, to just get money. Anyways, that's all I have time for with Wolf of Wall Street. I personally loved it as a movie because it did something, you know, no other movie has kind of done in terms of style and content. And it was somewhat refreshing to see an auteur like Martin Scorsese adapt and change what he knows best to become something different because of the times we live in now. So you can find me on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, and on Google. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. That's Film Exploration AH, or lowercase, or one word. And once again, thank you for listening to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry. 